Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Amen. I want to give a thank you to the music and arts department who gave us that wonderful tribute this morning to begin our time. And, and I want to have us not shift gears, but to keep as an example folks people, men and women of God who understood adversity and trial and yet not only persevered but laid a model of uh, God's transformative power that exists in each one of our lives. And so the same power, the same God that the heroes tapped into is available to each one of us. We're in the third week of this series that we are calling B, and we are continuing to kind of unpack what it means to be children of God. And I'd encourage you to go back and, and, and hear the first couple of messages. Uh, they're available online. I won't have time to unpack all of it, but by way of laying a little bit of context, if you haven't been here, what we are saying essentially is that God has created us in such a unique and magnificent way, to be like the image of his son, Jesus. And as we're unpacking this series, we're trying to understand what it means to be like Christ in our circumstances. Not doing anything for God, not serving more, not taking on more projects, but right in the place where he has planted us, in our homes and in our jobs, to be, to manifest, to show the spirit of the living God day by day in our lives. And so we spent the first two weeks uh, covering that we wanted to be an imitator of God. And last week we wrestled with this This concept, this realization that most of our experience with God is an outflow of his mercy and he calls his children to be merciful as he has been merciful to us. And it was wonderful to hear the stories and and really the wrestling. I I, I hope you had that homework assignment last week. Did you did you try out some mercy last week? Did did, did you have I, I know a situation popped up. And you had, you had a real-world lab experience. Did you try to let a little more mercy come out? Yeah. Amen. And it's interesting, as I've been thinking and praying and, and, and studying, um, I'm realizing something more clearly that, that I knew, but it's, it's hitting me as I try to live this out, that these B statements are all interrelated, that, that one feeds and, and strengthens the other. And so we're going to talk about today being still. And and I found that it was uh, interconnected with my own situations this week that I found that me trying to be merciful worked a little bit better because I had had some times of being still. And so all of these things that God is calling us to be, we can't just pick our favorite one and let the other ones fall aside. 
He's weaving us to be in the image of his son, Jesus. And, and so um, he realizes that most of our lives will be populated with challenges. God is not surprised by your trials and tribulations. He knew they were coming long before you did. And he tried to make us be confident in the fact that not only was he present with us in those trials, but he had equipped us, dare I say, designed us to be able to not just survive those trials, but to thrive and bring him glory in the midst of them. And, and, it, and it's surprising that it comes out of this idea of being still. I was looking at this text, and, and we're going to talk about a, a couple of other texts where this, this term still shows up. And you know what surprised me is that this command to be still is a, a, is a corrective command. What it means is that I am being something else and God is telling me to stop being what I'm being and be still instead. It's, it's, a, it's a command of correction that what I'm doing to cope and to manage my problem, my crisis, is not going to lead me to the place where God wants me to go. And instead, if I would be still, then I would find myself on the right path. But that's so counter counter everything. It's just, this doesn't feel right, does it? To just think about in the midst of your crisis and chaos is the first thing you think of is, well, let me just cool out. I'll just relax. We're not, we don't, we don't really seem to be wired that way. But if God knew our crisis was coming and he issues this this imperative command, then he must know something about us that we don't realize about ourselves. So I, I want to I unpack this, and I, I, I try to group into three, three situations, three, three scenarios that we may be uh, caught ourselves being something different than what God is calling us to be in the middle of the crisis. I, I want to go back to the definition of be. If, if you look at our definition, uh, next slide, Taylor. Okay. All right. Well, let me give you the definition. <laughs> the definition, there you go. You, uh, be is a verb, and it's used to indicate the identity, describe the qualities or condition of a person or thing. We've been talking about the last couple of weeks about the identity. I want to start to look at the quality and condition of our hearts and our minds. In the middle of a crisis... What's your heart condition? In the middle of a trial, where's your mind at? What are the things that we run into that, that, that cause us to react a certain way? And, and these are the three situations. I want to give us the scripture, and then I want to describe what it's talking about. The first one is Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Let me read this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives love, uh, gives sleep to his beloved. 
he's talking about the situation where we are building something. There's nothing wrong with building. I think it's good to be busy and active and productive. But he's saying, if we're building the wrong thing, we're wasting our time. We're putting all this energy and effort and, and, and all this worry and stress about trying to build something that if it's not the house that God has started us to build, then we're just giving away energy with no real value. What kind of things are those? Again, there's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with being productive. But I think we have to make sure that we're using our skills and our abilities to build something that can ultimately bring glory to God. And a house that is built apart from the will of God can't possibly receive God's blessings. If we're dealing with stuff that's illegal or immoral or shady, then we are not being holy as God called us to be. If I'm making gains and profits on illicit behaviors or, 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 distru- or, or things that cause other people pain or, or, or benefit from other people's misfortune, I don't think God is going to support my building. And I, and I hear people wondering, how come God isn't blessing me? How come uh, this, is, this is so painful or so difficult? Where's God supposed to be pouring out? I go to church, I sing the songs, but the foundation upon which I'm building is raggedy. I was listening to this radio talk show the other morning. And I, I don't usually listen to radio in the morning, but I, I decided to turn it on. And, and so I'm flipping through the stations. And, and it's one of these kind of morning, you know, advice talk show things. And uh, it's not like they're professionals. They just got opinions. So they're just talking. And, and so somebody is calling in and she's asking about the relationship that she's in. And she's so frustrated. You know, I... I I can't get him to give me the time. He, he won't seem to really um, invest in our relationship. It's, it's not really growing. And I, I, I've tried so hard. I, I've been so patient. I, I've given him the best. I've tried to love and support and care for him. And, and it just isn't going anywhere. And I'm frustrated. What should I do? And so, you know, I'm kind of halfway listening and they're talking back and forth, and probably about 30 seconds later, she says, yeah, if his wife would just give us some more space. God is not going to bless your adulterous relationship. We, we like, why isn't this working? Because it's not what God would have for us. And we could put all this time into these house of cards, this illicit, immoral things, and and say, God, come on, pour it on down. He's never going to do it. And if we're not building something that brings God glory, we're working in vain. And the second part, we're trying to protect stuff, right? We put all this energy into trying to keep our stuff straight. Either we're going crazy accumulating stuff or we're going crazy trying to protect what we got and hold on so tight to it. We're putting all this energy and worry and stress and anxiety, but we're never really thinking about how we can use what God has blessed us for his glory. It's just about me and my comfort and what I want and all my needs. And and I'm not thinking about, about protecting something so that God can be glorified and edified in my possessions. And so I'm, I'm going crazy 
thinking about what I might lose and what I might have to give up. And, and God say, you're protecting that stuff for no reason. There's nothing valuable in there. It's actually stealing your joy, being so worried about holding on to these material things. And so he's trying to say, don't, don't, don't get so anxious and don't get caught up in this vain toiling. And, and have, have you been there? Have you been on the job or, or in a relationship and you're just trying, you're just pushing, you're just giving it your all, you just won't let go, you just won't take no for an answer. I mean, you're just pushing and striving. And in the middle of those situations, God might be saying, maybe if you would just be still and stop pushing so hard. And stop demanding your way and give me a chance to speak something into your life. Maybe you would see where my blessing is in your circumstance. So those situations where we find ourselves working and defending and stressing, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's well over 50% of the population of the United States says they're stressed out. I wonder how much of that is because we have a cultural refusal to be still. And hear from God. Situation number two comes from Exodus 14, 14. This was actually surprising to me. I I, I never really caught this in the scripture before. You know the story. Moses is leading the Israelites out of bondage. They've gotten away from the Egyptians after years and years of slavery and mistreatment and persecution and the plagues have come and Pharaoh finally broke down and said, just get away from here. Just get out of, get away from us. And and he lets them go. But then he decides he's still mad at those God people for making my life uncomfortable and I'm going to pay him back. So Pharaoh gets his army and his chariots and he goes chasing off after the Israelites into the desert. And so now they think they got away. They thought they had separated themselves, but here comes this enemy, this old overwhelming force. I mean, they left there with some clothes, a couple of trinkets of gold, and they're out in the desert. They've never had an army before. They've never been their own country before. They're out there fighting chariots and spears with sand and rocks. This is not going to end well by all logical assessment. And then it's even worse. Not only are they running out away in the desert, but they finally run far enough, and now they run into an ocean. They run into the Red Sea. So you've got nowhere to go. You've got an ocean in front of you, and you've got Pharaoh's army and chariots with rage and anger and destruction on their minds coming behind you. What do you do? I probably start swimming. <laughs> Everybody for themselves. It won't be that Titanic thing. Give me that board. But anyway, um, Moses, in the middle of this situation, says something amazing. Exodus 14, beginning at verse 13. Moses says to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. Listen to this. The Lord will fight for you, and all you have to do is be still. Wow. I mean, have you, have you ever been in that place where there's some 
force coming against you, some overwhelming enemy, just something, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a, a boss that is just chewing you out every day and, and seeing like they're just trying to destroy you. Maybe, maybe it's a, a health issue that you're, you don't have any control over. Your, your body just isn't responding to the treatment and it's just overwhelming. Maybe it's some relationship that you've poured yourself into and they have ripped your heart out and taken advantage of you and you're just so overwhelmed by the circumstance. It seems like the chariots are just coming down to rain down destruction on you, but remember, God did not take you out to the desert to drop you off and leave you there without bringing some glory into your life. So Moses is reminding his people, don't you know God has a plan for us? He didn't bring us out of one bondage to bring us out here to die for no reason. He's doing something among us right now. So be firm. Let go of that fear that's dominating your heart and your mind and stand back and watch what your God is about to do to your enemy. And that's, that's, that's hard to do. When you feel like you've just been getting kicked around and beat up, and the enemy is just seem like they got all the advantages on their side and they just throwing rocks at you and beating you up and treating you bad. And you want to pick up a rock. I'm going to get one in before I go. You want to fight back. I'm going down, but I'm going to go down swinging. I'm going to get one in. And Moses said, Maybe you could just be still. Maybe every time somebody throws a rock at you, you don't have to throw one back. Maybe every time somebody treats you bad, you can trust that your God is with you and sees it. And that when he says, I will stand for my people that the insults they hurled at you, they're really hurling them at me, so let me handle this one for you. Maybe I could, I could see my enemy and be still before them because I can't beat that enemy anyway. There's nothing I can do for a victory over this circumstance or this situation. So Moses says, maybe we should just be still and watch what God is going to do. And it just feels so wrong to do that. I mean, can you picture yourself there? You're at the edge of the water. You hear horses coming. You're going to start grabbing hands and singing kumbaya. Is that what you're going to do? That's hard to do. It doesn't seem like that's what we would be naturally doing. We'd be doing all kinds of other stuff. And that's exactly what he says. In the middle of what you're being, be still instead. And then you'll be in a position position to see what God has in store. Third situation. This gets us back to our text for today. Psalm 46. I want to look at the um, the third and fourth verses here. I'm sorry, the second and third verses. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You are caught up in a torrent, a raging sea. 
an earthquake, a river just moving beyond before you, and you have no way to control what's happening. You're just caught up in the mix of turmoil and chaos. Wave, you don't even know where the source is coming from. It's just chaos all around you. Overwhelming circumstances. An unclear future. You're not sure how it's going to work out for you. You're not sure how you're going to get out of this mess. You're not even sure you're going to make it out alive. And when we have this uncertainty, it's pretty easy for fear to creep into our hearts and minds. And I don't think we understand how much we are controlled and guided by fear. And the world uses fear, I think, as its most effective manipulation tactic. I I gave this idea. I want you to go home, and next time you're watching TV, about 30 minutes, an hour, whatever, watch the commercials. And just count. Whatever day, whatever time, just count the commercials and see how many of the commercials that came on were using something that you could be afraid of to motivate you to buy their product or service. How many times do advertisers use fear? Uh, Well, you better, you don't know who's watching your home. Man, are you sure that car is safe enough to get you back and forth to work? How are your kids feeling? They're looking kind of sick from over here. All these commercials are playing on our fears to manipulate us to do something for the, the manufacturer's benefit. We, I don't think we have an idea how much we are driven by our fears. It just gets inside of us. We have a culture, an economy, dare I say, that's built on manipulating your fear buttons to get you to react just the way they want you to. And God is saying, yeah, you know what? Sometimes there's going to be chaos all around you. Sometimes there's going to be situations that are so far beyond your control that you can't manipulate it. You can't get out of it. You can't, feel, you can't talk your way out of it. You can't buy your way out of it. And everybody around you is going to be lost in this chaos and, and, and just crying out out of hopelessness. And what I want you to do in the middle of the storm and the, and the wind and the rain and the torn is I want you to be That's what Jesus, remember that story of Jesus being in the boat with the apostles and the storm is raging and they're crying and they throwing stuff overboard. They're probably fighting and arguing and he's downstairs asleep in the middle of the storm. And they said, what are you doing? Well, he said, I'm working off a different economy here. I'm not going to be manipulated and controlled by fear. And and by the way, anytime I want to, I can go to that storm and say, peace be still. So trust that if he can do it for the apostles, he can speak to your storms just as easily. And maybe what he's doing, maybe the reason why we can't get out of the storm is he's waiting for us to be still long enough so he can tell us what we were supposed to get from the storm in the first place. So these are the scenarios where we're working and striving, uh, a scenario where we feel like we are being attacked from an enemy that just overpowers us. And and then when we just have our day-to-day normal fears and worries, all of these situations, God quite clearly says, whatever you're doing, stop and be still. Now, I want to acknowledge that this is not easy to do. This, This takes some 
some effort. This takes some, some practice because we are wired for survival mode. We have these kind of like animal instincts. You ever, you ever watched, you ever watched like one of these nature channels and there's like a, a gazelle and then a cheetah or a lion shows up? That thing is out of there. It knows danger is coming and I got to get out of here. And we have that same kind of animalistic uh, fight or flight instinct to survive. And, and, and actually, it's good. We should have that because it'll keep us alive in dangerous situations. Um, but really, most of our situations are not life and death. But we can still be going through life just living off of this kind of reaction mode. And, and, and when it happens, oh, let me, let me read this to you. This is the danger about Google. You can read like two articles and sound like you know what you're talking about. So I found this on Google, and it, it, I thought it'd make me sound really smart. So if you're like a doctor or a psychiatrist, you'll know I'm wrong, but go with it. Okay, so there is this thing called the autonomic nervous system. That sounds official, doesn't it? Autonomic nervous system. And it has three parts. And one of these parts is what's called the sympathetic nervous system. And it is what gives you that rush of adrenaline. So you're driving down the road and you see somebody making a turn or doing something crazy and this car is coming right at you and you know you're about to get hit. You don't say, I should adjust my uh, trajectory 14 degrees to the northeast. No, you just, ah, you just move, right? It just, it just happens. You just react. It just, it just kicks in, adrenaline, and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're just in the moment, and you just respond. Thank God for that, by the way. So we have that built into us. God, God has wired us for that. But he, here, here's the problem. What happens is that when we're in that mode and we're responding and reacting, that means we're not thinking. There, there's no processing. There's no evaluation. There's no cognitive thing happening. And so it's good for life and death situations, but we can get in a habit of working that way where all we do is we respond to stimulus from the outside. That means we go through our life reacting, not thinking. Which habitually, that's not a good way to live your life. But we can get in that mode. Every time something happens, every time somebody says something I don't like, every time I'm in a situation that's stressful or uncomfortable, I just react. I've said it before I even thought about it. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it was just out there before they even got their mouth closed. I was, I was already back on them. I just, I'm just reacting. And so we can let that that fight-or-flight reality dominate our whole life. And that's what I think God is speaking to. And I love it when science and medicine catches up to Jesus. So, like, we just discovered, like, we, we are hardwired. We have, like, nervous systems in our body that, that cause muscles to clench and, and, and stuff to get reacting in our brain. And, and God said, I know, I, I put that in there. And, and I gave you uh, the ability to just respond, to get away from danger. But not he, only did he wire us for fight or flight, he wired us for something else too. Because there is not only this sympathetic nervous system, but there's something called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that is the counteracting balance to our fight or flight reality. And guess what it does? When it gets the same stress, the same stimulus, the same, the same chaotic situation, instead of saying, fight, react, run, it says, be calm and be still. And God said, you know what? I wired you for that too. 
I hard-coded it in there. So he's not giving us some pie in the sky. Wouldn't it be nice if I could be a nicer person? No, he's saying, I built you to respond to the chaos and the tension and the stress in your life in a way where you can be still and know that your God is right there in the middle of it. I made you that way. But we got to practice it. We got to exercise it. Or else we just become these these robots, these, these reactionary machines just firing off at every stimulus from the outside world. But he's saying, no, be still and know that I am God. See, what he's telling us to do is have a moment to think and remember. There was another really cool, cool term that it was called cognitive distortions. Doesn't that sound cool? When I get used to reacting, then I get used to being in a mode where I never let my mind drive my responses. And God is saying, don't don't live like that. Know me and respond to your situation based off of what you know. He said, be still, and we can be still because we know something. What do we know about God that allows us to not just react crazy, but to, but to, but to be mindful, but to be, to be diligent, to be reflective about how we respond to our environment. I want to give you five things that came right out of this same psalm. First verse of Psalm 46. God is our refuge. See, he knows trouble is coming. But did you see the psalm started off with not what our situation is, but who our God is? God is our refuge. In the Old Testament, there were these places called cities of refuge scattered all over the place. And and these were amazing places because if you got to the city of refuge, you had a protective covering over you. You could be a murderer. You could be a thief. All that stuff in the Old Testament where we see if you get it, if you get caught, you get stoned. If you get to this city, you're safe. You're protected. Even if you were wrong, you get to the city, there's a covering of protection over you. God is just like that. In the middle of our chaos, he is our refuge. He is our safe place. He is our stronghold. And then he says, he's our refuge and our strength when you can't fight anymore. When, when you're when you done fighting, when you gave your last swing, your last punch, your last argument, your last yelling, your last fussing, you're just done. You got nothing left. I can't fight this fight anymore. My back is against the ocean and the enemy's still coming. He says there is a source of strength that your God can provide when your strength is gone. God is my refuge and my strength. So when I'm in these situations... Do I remember who my God is? And I love the third one. He's a very present help. He's not just a help. He's not like a phone call away. You know, like 911, sometimes you call 911 when you got an emergency. And depending on where you live, (laughs) 911 may take a little while to get to you. It said he is a very present help. As soon as you went into that conflict, he was already in there. 
As soon as you had that horrible fight in the bedroom, God was sitting in there. Every situation, every circumstance, it says he is a very present help. I didn't have to even turn right here. He was right beside me in every valley that I've ever been through. So do I really have to fight back every time? Do I really have to defend myself every time? Do I really have to show what I am and I'm not going to put up with every time when I know that my very present help is right beside me every step of the way? And then he goes on in verse number uh, four through six. He says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of the city and the city shall not be moved. God is able to sustain you even when the enemy is attacking you. And if God has his hand around you, then he's not worried about what the enemy is planning to do because he says, my hand of protection, I'm guarding the city. I'm watching the walls. I'm the one who's making sure that the walls don't break down. You're inside the protection of the Most High God. Could I not need to protect myself if I know that God is doing the protection for me? And finally, again, number seven and number 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's the place that we can go when life is out of control. When I'm hurt and broken and worn out. When I've used all my wits and all my money and all my abilities, and it's still broken. When I fought all I can fight, when I've yelled all I can yell, when I've cried all I can cry, then I can just be still and know that my God will carry me home. This is one of those Sermons that nobody's really going to know if it sinks in but you. See, this isn't one where I can, you know, ask you some questions and quote some scriptures and you can give me some holy responses back. This is where God meets you in those deep, dark recesses of your life where there's fear and anxiety and worry and anxiousness. Can you be in those situations and find a peace that surpasses all understanding because you found the ability to sit still and see your God? I remember several years ago, there was uh, one of the mothers of the church and she was passing and uh, it had been a long battle. And uh, she knew that God was going to bring her home pretty soon. And, and I, was, I was relatively early in my faith walk, and so wasn't quite sure what I thought about this big enemy of death. And, and I went to, uh, I think I went to visit her, or I was there, and somehow, I don't remember all the details, but I was 
I was talking to Pastor Long, who had been there the day before, something like that, and, uh, and he made this statement that was so profound to me. He said, that woman is showing us how to die well. She wasn't bitter. She wasn't angry. She wasn't resentful. She wasn't spiteful. She had found a peace that came from her God. That as much as she knew she was going to miss friends and family and loved one and all those things, God had given her his spirit and her peace. And she knew that she had run her race and run it well. And she was ready to receive her reward. And I think there's something in that that isn't just, again, for life and death circumstances. But God is offering us peace in the middle of the storm. But we can't be talking so loud that we can't hear him talking. We can't be moving so fast that he's trying to run up to catch up to us, but he can't quite catch us. And we can't be busy, so busy trying to fix it ourselves that we don't leave room for God to work deliverance and salvation for us. So I just want to give us just a moment and ask you to think about whatever challenge you may be facing and see if God may be telling you in the midst of your circumstances to stop fighting. Stop demanding your way. Stop striving for the next thing. Stop trying to have control over things that are beyond your control. And just take a moment to be still. And let my love and my mercy and my grace remind you that I am the God who keeps you every day of your life. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church, located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday, and we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us, and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.